Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome back, Bill. It's great to have you here with me again, as always. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, I feel like this is becoming our celebration of the seasons as we do our COVID <laughs> podcast because as it's going on long enough, unfortunately, that we're seeing a change of seasons and different things coming around. So, which brings up, honestly, different topics related to COVID that comes to mind and the kind of questions I know you and I both are getting from people. Yeah, you know, that's a really neat observation. You're right, we've been talking about summer coming and then fall. And now, of course, here in Minnesota, we just got snow of all things. So I guess uh, winter's almost here, huh? Yeah, well, I'm just coming back from northern Minnesota, and it definitely feels like winter is there. That's for, I can tell you that much. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, with the seasons come different uh, gatherings and holidays and new challenges with the COVID-19 pandemic. So maybe we should talk about those today because we have a number of things coming up, you know, and of course, a lot of sports have resumed, schools resumed, and then we have Halloween right around the corner. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it is a really important topic, Susan, because... I think that, as you say, it's a time when, particularly in this part of the country, people start doing more activities indoors and mm -hmm. group activities indoors is a way to, to be social and to connect and also to stay active. And likewise, you know, we do have Halloween coming up, but I know I, I personally have received a few questions around that. So, so yeah, those are some really important topics to cover. And I think, and we're seeing some experiences being published now out of some of the sports leagues. I know you know, you and I had, had kind of gone back and forth on those because there are differences, I think, that people need to keep in mind between some of these different activities and some things that are common to all of them as well. Yeah, so let's talk about that. That's a good place to start. So sports, what are some of the things to keep in mind when you're trying to evaluate the potential risks? Yeah, I think it's very timely, as we've said, and it's important for people to think about really two different things. And one is the activity itself. And the other is then uh, what you're doing before and after the activity. And I think there's a couple of really interesting scenarios that have been written about and studied. And one is baseball and the other is ice hockey. Both <laughs> baseball season up here is on the wane. There was uh, some nice study coming out of the Major League Baseball showing that even though they had some problems with COVID on some of the teams, there was really no evidence that, that there was transmission on the field of play. I know there was a lot of talk before yeah, even I did some stuff on sports radio where there was concerns about, you know, how, how close should the players be on the field? Should they be base stealing? You know, those sorts of things. But it appears that out of doors where they were masked and taking precautions that the risk was low, but there was some transmission that was in the clubhouse. And mm -hmm. then you hear that to ice hockey, where I actually had the good fortune of connecting with the writer for the athletic, Michael Russo, who covers the Minnesota Wild and the NHL. And we talked a lot about this. He actually did a written piece as well as a podcast. And their ice hockey is a lot different because there's a lot of contact. There's a lot of sweat. There's actually been some cases in the NHL where there has been disease transmission of like mumps amongst teams, even mm -hmm. prior to, to COVID that caused problems. 
And, you know, the concern was that the players are on the bench, very close together. They tend to lean together and put their heads together to talk. There's a lot of contact on the ice. And there was a, a study of a recreational league game played in Tampa Bay, I believe it was. It was in the South, actually, where there was evidence of on-ice transmission. Now, again, those players, they had separate locker rooms, but they didn't take great precautions in the locker room and other things. And so, and that appears to be certainly a contributor. So I think what it boils down to is really think about the activity itself. Mm -hmm. If there's not a lot of contact and it's out of doors, it appears that the risk is low, but a lot of the risk is actually going to be the other things that you do as part of a sports league, whether it's getting ready before the game or going out and socializing after the game, those are some things you're going to have to really kind of curtail. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. And and the article that, you know, we talked about, uh, actually, I think both of those articles were published by the MMWR, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, which is just this great report that comes out from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. And yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Um, there was an outbreak among Major League Baseball players, and they had these 20 baseball players and staff that were infected in a single team. And that was presumably, like you said, due to maybe not wearing masks in locker room settings or off the field. But on the field, they played with another team and didn't transmit any cases. So I agree with you. I actually had a, an employee come to me the other day and ask about participating in team sports. And so I think all those things you mentioned are really important to consider, such as is there going to be a lot of close contact? Is it a lot of, is it a very physical game? Are people going to be basically breathing in each other's faces? Or is it going to be out on a field where there's, you know, a breeze and not a lot of close contact? And then also, I think those before game activities, and of course, the after game activities, but the before, just like the huddles, the discussions, if you're right up in each other's faces, you're clearly not doing the social distancing that's recommended. You can't do a one size fits all. You really need to consider all those different aspects. That's right. And like the ice hockey was the opposite, where well, yeah. a player from one team was positive, and they were able to identify in their, in their contact tracing and follow up a number of other players from the same team who became positive, but also some other players who were on the ice mm. that appeared to have gotten infected around the same time from the opposite team, even though they didn't share a locker room. Again, those players didn't mask. Uh, in this case, the, the index case was asymptomatic. So you know, obviously, if you're not feeling well, just like with work, as we talked about last time, same for your recreational activities. If you have any sense that you might be coming down with something, really it's in the best interest of everyone to not participate in the activity, whether it's work or recreational or social. But so just to be mindful, and of course, an ice rink has a lot of forced air to maintain the temperature, particularly if it was in the Southern hemisphere. So there's, you got to think about all those things. I think it ultimately to be cautious, but to be particularly cautious, I think before and after the activity, because it does appear other than for some sports, the during activity is actually lower risk than the before and after activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let's take those same principles and apply those to other things that are coming up, like indoor group gatherings and trick-or-treating. What are your thoughts on those? Interestingly, someone did direct a question to me saying that they have a dinner club with their friends. This particular person was concerned because it's a guy's club, but his wife has some chronic health issues, and his concern was, well, could I contract COVID at one of these small dinners if it's a place that limits the number of tables and things. And I said, well, if they're all your friends getting together for over 15 minutes of eating, you're not going to be masked. Mm -hmm. That's something to think about. 
doesn't mean you should or shouldn't, but you have to understand that that could be a higher risk activity as you try and kind of, everyone makes their own personal choices. Right. And trick-or-treating, I think again, is one that really has to be carefully considered uh, here going into Halloween. I know it's, it's great to take your kids out and to see your neighbors, but going door to door, that should be a brief transmission, but you never know. I know many neighborhoods are actually taking an alternate approach to trick-or-treating this year. I've heard about the idea of parades, and I think that's a great way to do it because everyone still gets to dress up. Everyone can come out and see the kids in their costumes and really appreciate them and ooh and ah over them. And actually, it takes out going from door to door. There's more of just the appreciation of the costumes themselves. So that's kind of a neat, neat approach. Yeah, and I think another approach I've heard is to have like a neighborhood treasure hunt, you know, with things kind of distributed around so people aren't congregating because in the treasure hunt with kids, we know there's natural dispersion usually. It's important because we feel like COVID-19 has taken away so much socially, you know, that this is another just different opportunities for neighborhoods to come together in different ways. So to your point, and be mindful as they do so. The parade is probably a much more humane way because in this part of the, of the country, Kids have to trick or treat in their snowsuits on underneath their, <laughs> underneath right. their costume. So maybe parade's a little easier on them. Yeah, really. Although I guess we should mention that uh, there's some things that might make for good masks, but not all costumes are going to have a good mask ability. Like, you know, <laughs> those plastic things that you put over your head, probably, yeah, there might be some, uh, you know, preventative measures there. But yeah, you probably should still have a real mask on at the same time. Yeah, I would say probably so. Yeah, Halloween mask more than likely is not going to be effective in fly. Unless maybe, I guess, if you're, you know, a ninja turtle or something that wears a mask <laughs> as part of his, his or her costume. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, I would say probably not. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of some, what would be some good costumes that have good maskability? A mummy? You could put a mask on and wrap yourself up. Ninja turtles was one. Um, or ninja. <laughs> any ninja wears a mask. Maybe some people that are listening will tweet at us some possible costumes so we can do a little Twitter poll or something. Yeah, I love it. That's a great idea. So tweet out your ideas of what would be the best costume to facilitate a good mask so you could go out and, and actually be protected and still have fun for Halloween. Well, this is great, Belle, because, you know, these are all things that are going to keep coming up. We we're going into a pretty heavy holiday season with Thanksgiving for our listeners who are in the United States. Of course, you know, we have the winter holidays. So we need to keep thinking about this. COVID isn't going away. And I know there's COVID fatigue, but, you know, this isn't the time to let your, your guard down. So we have to still be vigilant. I agree. You know, and one thing that comes to mind here before we move off the whole superheroes concept is our, our Twitter handles, because yours, mine isn't, but yours kind of isn't. We do tweet both of us at each other and, and in general on a lot of the topics that we also talk about. So maybe you should tell them your Twitter handle and I'll tell them mine. <laughs> yeah, so mine is at Parasite Gal, all one word. And that, of course, reflects my scientific fascination and love for parasites, even though we're talking about COVID these days. And my, I'm a lot more boring. <laughs> I'm at Maurice. <laughs> At Maurice, MD-PhD, all lowercase, one word. So that's me. I'm the more cut from the traditional cloth, I guess, when it comes to the Twitter <laughs> handles. So, but I do think, you know, in closing, A, it's great talking to you every week. But I think people really need to be mindful, uh, finding different ways to be active, to be social, to connect. Mm -hmm. I mean, the emotional 
and mental toll of COVID-19 can't be undersold. And mm-hmm. it's really incumbent on ourselves to look out for each other and to look out for ourselves. And so it's good. I love to be a little lighthearted here, but I think it's important everyone is because look, we're going to be dealing with COVID-19 well into 21 here. So uh, we need to continue to look out for ourselves and each other and find ways to stay connected. Great points as always, Bill. Well, great talking with you. Yeah, likewise. I look forward to next week. Sounds good. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.